You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Morning, church. My name is Sydney Wood, and I serve as a, as a high school small group leader in student ministry as well as a home group leader. This morning, I'll be reading from John 10, verses 7 through 15. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. How are we? Happy New Year, man. It's good to see you. Now, here, I, I kind of am the personality type that geeks out about New Year stuff. Um, part of that is that as a pastor, there's some resonance in my heart when you start talking about new beginnings and getting to start over and what, you, you mean we got another shot at this? There's something deeply spiritual about that idea, something deeply Christian uh, about that idea. So there, there's, in one sense, I think I geek out because of that, but then also uh, I am a recovering achiever. Um, and, and what that means is that every New Year, I get to fight my compulsion to create a scorecard to let me know I'm worth something. Like, like I don't know, maybe that doesn't resonate with you at all, but, but I, like I have loved my whole life this time of year where I get to go, this is the better than Matt Chandler I'm going to work towards in this year. And I, I, for what, I'm telling you, between the time I became a Christian and glory, my impulse is always going to be to try to earn what God is consistently trying to just give me. And, and so I geek out, and not only do I geek out, but unfortunately I feel like I've made disciples in my own house. Um, Lauren, not Lauren, a uh, sure way to fight Lauren is to talk about goals and organizing. She's the artist side of the family that keeps us sane. Um, but me, Lauren, and sweet little 14-year-old Nora were at our favorite um, restaurant down in Louisville. And she said, hey, I would love to... I'd love to share my 2024 goals with you guys. Which, anybody else got a 14-year-old like that? And then she pulls up a note, and she has 24 of them. 24 for 24. And I, I mean, I just immediately, you know when your kid does something that you do, but you're trying not to do, and you're like, oh, crud. That, that was, that, and then here's where it gets worse. Like, her list, other than two, mirrored mine. It's like, oh, no, they got a little baby mat in the house. God help us. Right? Like an overachieving, sloppy, we can do better kind of. Now, he, here's something. If you have eyes to see, and, and I pray that you do. In fact, what I'm hoping and what I pray for all week is by the grace of God, we might be able to see together um, that everyone, whether they're religious or not, around this time of the year seems willing to admit that their life could be better than it is. 
They, they seem to be, that doesn't happen all year, but around this time of the year, my body's not quite like I want it to be. My diet's not quite like I want it. My money's not quite like I want it to be. My relationships aren't quite like, I don't live, I talk more than I live. And we have all these things. We're like, I know I can be better than I am. Well, I want to argue that that too is deeply spiritual. And, and I want to argue is rooted in ultimate reality in a way that maybe is different than, than you're thinking. Jesus has a lot to say about this new, better version of you. And again, I don't think it's exactly what, what you think it would be. So every year we do this series. This series is called The Creator's Heart. Here's all I'm trying to do. If you're wondering what God's heart is towards you and for you, if you want to know what God is up to concerning you, I'm not speaking in the Texan y'all here. I'm talking you as an individual. It's clear the 66 books of the Bible tell a single story. And that single story is God offering to you and to me life. That's the move of God. Life and life to the full. That's the offer that's on the table. Real, deep, legitimate, like real, real life. Life ever expanding. Life ever more. Joy in the midst of difficulty. This is the offer on the table. And what pulls on that life are lies. So the offer, the decision that you and I get to make, not just today, but every day, is between life and lies. And if you want to know God's heart for you, the Creator's heart for you, He has come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and look at this passage. This is John chapter 10. If you don't own a Bible, there's a hardback black one under your seat or around you. Why don't you just take that? Or since it's a new year, we have some really nice leather ones in the lost and found. You might go out there. You might even find one with your name on it. Uh, but, but just grab a Bible. I think there's enough in here that you might want to highlight or circle or write. Maybe not, but it's a, it's a profound text. But what we're going to read today actually has a context it's being said by Jesus in the middle of something that's happening in John 9. So let me catch you up on the story. John chapter 9, the first six verses, tells us that there's this man who's a beggar who was born blind. So there wasn't an accident when he was 12. He didn't get sick when he was a kid. He was born blind. And there was a belief that either his parents or his grandparents had sinned, and that's what made this man blind. Well, he has this encounter with Jesus, and it's a weird one. I mean, it's just a weird one. So he's having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus picks up dirt, spits in it, makes mud, and wipes it on his eyes, and then tells him to go wash the mud off of his eyes at this specific pool or this specific water source. So he goes and he washes out the mud, and he could see. And it freaked the little community out. They had seen this man at the gate begging his whole life, and now he just walks up with perfect sight. Now, I don't know if it's 2020 vision. The, the text didn't say. I'm just guessing Jesus heals completely when he heals. And he shows up, and he's got, bam, he could see everything. He's like, oh, that's what you, hey, thanks for that 20 last week or whatever. I mean, he, and, and they don't know what to do with it. It disorients them like miracles can. And so they take him. I don't think there's any malice in it. They take him to the Pharisees. These are the guys that are the ruling religious leaders. If anyone could explain what happened here, it's the Pharisees because there's a debate in the town whether if this is even the same guy. You just go read the passage like, no, it just looks like him. Can't be. He can see. And there's literally this argument among neighbors. Like, it can't be him because he can see. No, it's him. And he's like, it's me, guys. It's me. But they won't. So they take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees start asking him questions. Were you born blind? Yeah, yeah, I was born blind. Really? No, yeah, really. I was born blind. Okay, how can you see? 
Well, this man named Jesus, he came and he put mud on my eyes and then I went and he told me to wash it off, so I washed it off and then all of a sudden I could see. Are you aware that he did this on the Sabbath? Um, did, you, did you hear the part where I said I've been blind since birth and now I see? Yeah, we heard you. But are you aware that he broke the law and did it on the Sabbath? So he won't, like this guy, this, this guy ends up becoming like an, an archetype for us, like an archetype for us, like be this guy. Uh, because he's just unafraid of these bullies, just unafraid of them. And, and they, they eventually don't talk to him anymore. They, they make him leave and they call his parents in. This is a grown man. They call his parents in and they're like, is this your son? That's our son. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. Do you know how he, re- how he received his sight? Here's their response. He's a grown man, ask him. And then in the text, this is important. In the passage, it says, for they were afraid that the Pharisees and makers of the law, rulers of the law would exclude them or remove them from the synagogue. So we don't have spaces like synagogues in Protestant evangelicalism. I think we should, but we don't. Um, what I mean by that is it's, more, it's much more understandable to our mindset to go to a church rather than to belong to a group of people where we're picking up kind of cultural cues and living life together in a deep, meaningful way. But that was a synagogue in the Roman Empire. It was a place of refuge and, and support and help in a very brutal time in human history. And to be thrown out of the synagogue would have been to be thrown to the wolves. And his parents were like, if we say Jesus, they're going to kick us out of the synagogue. So they said, he's a grown man, ask him. So they call him back in. So he comes back in and they're like, they ask him again, were you the one born blind? I, we've already covered this. Who healed you? And then he starts it. This is why I love, this is why I kind of, I look at him like, yeah. He, he says, why do you want to be his disciple too? And then that, I mean, that's like, you can't say that to these men. And, and so they're like, we follow Moses. We don't follow this, you know, Sabbath healer or whatever. And he's like, hey, I was blind and now I see. And he's actually thrown out of the synagogue. So that's where we find Jesus beginning to address the crowd. And I think it'll make more sense now. Remember, life and lies are the offer. John chapter 10 Verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I, I am the door. Now, let me say why I just read it like that. It's not like that because it's not like that in your ESV or really in almost any version they're not interpreted. But what Jesus is doing in these I am statements is he's going back to the Exodus where God introduced himself personally to his people with Yahweh. I am who I am, that's his name. And so Jesus is making a claim of deity here. The the passage should read, I, I am the door. Because he's pulling that I am from the Exodus and he's like, I ain't no teacher here. I'm God in the flesh. I, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers and the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. Verse 11, I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf 
coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, um, remember, life and lies. Here in this passage, in the context of this madness, Jesus starts making really uh, across time crazy claims. And and here, not not only is he saying, I am God in this I, I am, but, but he's also saying, hey, if you want life, real life, the real, real life, I'm the door. I'm the way to life. There is no, I am the creator. There is no real, meaningful, ever expanding life outside of me. I am the door. And, and, and I think you could maybe think about it this way that, that he goes on to say that everything else is a robber and, and a thief. Like everything else that you might put your trust in for ever increasing life or an experience of deep, rich, meaningful life has a tendency to betray you. It's a robber. It's a liar. And here's how we would say it in recovery. Wherever you are, there you are. Look at me. You know what you would be with six-pack abs and a perfect diet? Look at me. You. You would be you with better abs. And gravity always wins. Gravity and time is undefeated. Eat all the spinach you want. I'm not saying it's not smart to be a good steward of your energy and your body. I'm saying that's not the path to life. Christ is saying, no, no, I am. There ain't a window. There ain't a back door. There ain't a chimney. If you want life as it was meant to be, that ever-increasing experience of richness and depth and meaning, I'm the door. I'm the door. There's not another door. There's nothing before me. There's nothing after me that brings you the life that you're hungry for. And in moments of clarity, you know, you don't have right now. Gosh, I'm looking around the room. Most of you are old enough to know. You you just said, if I could just get to this point in your life, only to get there and just be there. You again, still, you know who you are after you graduate from college? You, you know, you are after you get that promotion, you, Do you see how consistent you are with you? Like you're the problem. Like you with abs and more money doesn't fix that you are you. I am the door, Jesus says. But not only is he the door. In fact, let's stop and talk about this, especially because of the context. That means that any teaching, Jesus is the door to life. Any religious teaching that uses fasting and prayers and penance or other religious activity is not a door to life, but rather a dirt road leading, not to life, but a shadowy religion devoid of joy. It makes the person's spirit heavy, stuck in the deep belief that you have not done enough or done rightly. Anybody ever feel stuck in that? I have not done enough and I have not done rightly. I told you I'm an achiever. Those things nip at my heels, and I think will until the day I die. I have to constantly hold every thought captive unto Christ because it's easy for me to believe that I've not done enough and I haven't done rightly, and I've been following hard for 30 years, and they're still nipping at my heels. I am the door, but he's not just the door. The text goes on to say, I am 
I, I am the good shepherd. So not only is he the door to life, but he shows us how to get into life and then how to grow into ever-increasing life. He is the good shepherd. He hasn't abandoned us to figure things out. He's given us his word. He's given us his law. He has sealed in us the Holy Spirit. He gives us an experience of his presence and his grace. I am the good shepherd. Listen to his invitation. Nobody else has given this invitation. Come to me, all who labor. Who, are you exhausted? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come, come through the door and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. He even says that those who come through the door, they get what? They, they get to come and go. They get freedom. They get what he calls pasture. Think of the 23rd Psalm. They get still waters and green pastures. Not a life of ease, a life of presence. Not a life of all of your wishes come true. You get what you actually need to flourish more than what you think you need to flourish. And those two things are different. I'm looking around the room and I think you probably know that now. Now, I am not only the door. I am the good shepherd. And then he goes through and he's, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's become redundant. And then he, he makes this statement. And if you leave today, I want, you, I want you to really hold on to a couple of things. But I love this one. He, he says... Two times in these seven verses, I know my own. Now, I, I love that. Maybe you don't love that. It looks to me like you just stared at me there. I like, like bam, and you're like, oh, okay. No, I know my own. You, you are not a commodity or a product to God. Now, you are to some people. There's some scoundrels out there. There's some liars and some thieves. We'll talk about that here in a moment, that you are a product and you are a commodity and they use you to line their, pro their pockets. But not to him. I know my own. Do you know that he knows all the days that were made for you before one of them was? Look at me. That means he has always been with you. It's not that things haven't sometimes been really dark. It's that he's been with you in the darkness. He's been with you in the hurt. He's been with you. In fact, it's his withness that makes him so beautiful. The, the Bible says that he knows all the hairs on your head. And I know some of you are like, well, that's pretty easy, but it's fine. He knew it before. He knew it before, right? Um, that you are, this is Ephesians, that you are his workmanship. The Greek word is pomea. It's where we get the word poem. Like, I don't know if you read poetry, but it slows you down. You can't read through that like you're reading an Instagram post. I mean, it's, you got to slow down. It, it pulls you in. It's someone dumping their soul out. And, and this is how he describes you. you. You are my poetry. I know my own. I know my own. He won't leave you or forsake you. He will be with you always. There's nothing that will befall your life that will disorient him or discombobulate him or get him in a panic trying to figure out what to do. He knows his own. And look at me. When the wolves come and they're coming, he will not run. He will not run. Where others will, he will not run. And, and so this is on the table. Life, real life, True life, life ever increasing, satiety of soul, depth of meaning and purpose. Life, it's on the table. It's the offers right there. Jesus is at the door. We are in. Come, hey, get in here. Oh, you weary? Oh, you tried the other things? They're breaking down on you? Hey, come on. I got room. There's always room in here. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. And this life is always pulled on by lies. And those lies work themselves out in two ways. One are false gospels inside the church, 
and demonic ideologies outside the church. You with me? The lies that pull on this invitation to life are inside the church, false gospels, right? That, and all I mean by false gospels is that they remove Jesus from the center and make something else center in its place, okay? And then outside the church, it's demonic ideologies. It's ideas and thoughts about what's actually meaningful in life that turn out to be lies. In fact, according to Jesus, um, steal, kill, and destroy us. So this is a pretty, pretty big thing to kind of consider over the next month, this idea of, of you got life and you got lies. So I want to, the, the Bible says that judgment begins in the household of faith. So let's talk about our own junk first, okay? Um, here are the three, here's just my critique. That's all it is, just my critique of Protestant evangelicalism in 2024. If this ruffles your feathers, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty involved in church planning around the world, like 700 churches, something. Like I, I think I got a bead on some things. So let me just point out things that I'm seeing that are false gospels. They're just not true. And some of them you'll be like, oh, and then others might be might frustrate you, but we're all right. I love you. Here, let's just dive in. So, so here's the, the, the first most predominant, as I see it, false gospel that pervades the minds and thoughts of pulpits and evangelical you know, thoughts. Uh, I would just call it the good works gospel. I just call it the good works gospel. You could also maybe put good works slash people, good works people gospel. It's just like, hey, try hard, be a good person, and, and you got it. That's the gospel. And yet, there's nothing more exhausting than that. First of all, I got questions. Like, what does it even mean to be a good person? Like, whose standard? 1970 standard of goodness or 2024 standard? Because somebody screwed, and I just want to know what side I'm on. Like, who decides the standard of good that we're saying people are good right now? I'm asking. And you know who can answer it? No one. This is a false gospel that removes Christ from the center and puts the person's feelings at the epicenter of reality. Now, you know that's crazy, right? Gosh, I feel different now than I felt at five when my alarm went off. So glad I didn't build my life around 5 a.m., Matt. It should be a very different sermon. Like, I'm really grateful that I'm rooted in reality, not how I feel on a given day. Or that I could just switch up what's good and bad based on what desires I have. No, this is a false gospel. And it exhausts people. And one of the ways, God, God help us, one of the ways it might be playing out in some of you is just here you are again. It's the new year. So you're figuring out what Bible study to sign up for. Doubling down, got to find a home group. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm saying none of it brings salvation. None of it brings rest to your soul. It's not that those things are bad. In fact, in some ways they're necessary but not for salvation to grow in intimacy. If you wrote all your little prayers down on a list and you brought them to Jesus, you, Jesus wants you. Like, you get that, right? You want to be some genie in a bottle for you. He wants you. He loves to know the why under the what of your prayers. Did you know that? Like, he wants you, dadgummit. Not just your list of things that you think is going to make you happy. He wants you. That's such... Good news. Now, here's another one. I'm going to have to explain it a little bit. Um, a, a friend of mine, well, let me, I never thought I'd say this sentence. Let's just do it. An online friend who, who runs a seminary. He, he's been writing lately about what he calls uh, the false gospel of compassion. Um, and here's how he's talked about it. I think he's on to something. In fact, it, you, I think you could see it as we talk about it. Now, Jesus is holy. And what the enemy does, this is how Satan works. He takes some element of truth and then he twists it and deforms it and feeds it back to the people of God. 
And so before you know it, you're starting to do stuff that is far from the heart of God and you're all twisted up, but you've got a couple of Bible verses for it, all right? And, and so think about it this way, because uh, you'll know this one. Every, like Nobody has a problem with this one except the legalist. Jesus is holy. That's true and right and good and beautiful. And what does Satan do with that? He takes holiness, twists it all up, feeds it to the church's legalism. You better do these things in order to be. Gosh, do you not see that this is what the Pharisees are doing right now? He did it on Sabbath. What? Do you see it? Right? Now, Christ is compassionate. You can watch him. Lift the face of the woman caught in idolatry. Tell Zacchaeus, that wee little man, to get down from that tree. You can watch his compassion work itself out all over the place. But his compassion is not licentiousness. His compassion is not never say anything that makes people think you're mean. That's the false gospel of compassion that I can't ever say anything that might ruffle someone's feather. So doctrine is mean. Some Bible verses are mean. Some versions of Jesus are mean. This is mean. So we don't say that and and we, we kind of cover that in being loving and compassionate. And it's a false gospel. It saves no one. It confronts no one with the need for a savior. It tells them they're all right. It's an anti gospel. It's a try harder, nonsensical madness that the church, if it's not careful, will preach and practice. And then the last one, um, the, the last one I would just call the make believe Jesus gospel. Do you know what I mean by that? The make believe Jesus gospel is where you get to kind of pick and choose the stories that you tell about Jesus or the teachings that Jesus said. You get to conform him into your image. Are you tracking with me on that? You, you look lost. So it, it's like not the full Jesus as the church has understood him for 2,000 years and as the Bible clearly articulates him, but ah, that time he told the woman to stop doing that, that could be offensive. Let's get rid of that. See, Jesus is just loving and gracious. He never, he never confronted anybody's sexual ethic. He never, right? And you start to create a whole different Jesus than the one that's in the Bible. It's a false gospel. Like Christ is a profoundly complex character who is love and that love confronts on repeat the brokenness of humanity it does it with love as its impulse and its root but it does it and a make-believe jesus is where you get to kind of pick and choose what you want to believe about him and all you do look at me i love you all you do is make him in your image and we've already talked about the fact that wherever you are you are and you're kind of you're there and you just keep being there and that's kind of a big deal and not in a good way And so when you make Jesus into your image, instead of Jesus being Jesus, well, gosh, your touchdown's all jacked up and and life's gonna continue to be difficult and hard and that impulse for more that's insatiable, you're gonna keep latching on to false gospels. And, And so this is inside the church. All of this can happen inside the church. And then outside the church, there there are belief systems and ideologies that are demonic in their origin. And and the way the church has historically thought about the great enemies of human beings is like this. The world, the flesh, and Satan. That's the kind of three-headed enemy of the soul of man. And when the Bible talks about the world... It's talking about a time and place in which we live. And that changes based on context, based on where we are, where we are in human history. But in each each kind of movement in human history, there are these ideas, there are these ideologies. And the hard part about the world is it's the air we breathe more than it's anything else. It's like trying to convince a fish it's in water. 
like swimming in water. What's water? It's this. What's this? It's where you are. What do you mean it's where I am? You're in water. What's water? It's that kind of argument. So the world is this incessant pull that all of us are pulling on without even knowing we're pulling on it. It's in our movies. It's the subplot to our shows. It's in our music. It's on that scroll at night. It's like we just incessantly, and they're demonic in origin. And I would say the three most prevalent of our day have cost hundreds of millions of people their lives over the last two centuries. Let me give you the three biggest one. Probably going to get in a little trouble here, but it was on my list for 2024, so let's just get it. (laughs) First of all, let me read this passage to you. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's the idea. That, that's our, the idea we're talking about. Strongholds, right? What are strongholds? We destroy, here's strongholds, arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So a stronghold is an ideology. It is a belief system. It's an idea that's everywhere in a given moment, in a given context, that the church must be aware of because it will pull her away from Christ as the center. And so let me give you my big three. There is an idea, a pervasive idea right now, that you are a single aspect of your personhood. You are your ethnicity, you are your sex, you are your sexual orientation. Now, this idea degrades a person made in the image of God into a single aspect of their personhood. And it almost is always set up and against somebody else's, but opposite single aspect of their personhood. This is most often in our day called identity politics. It's that you are a woman, that you are your ethnicity, that you are your sexual orientation, that you are, but the gospel refuses to bend the knee to that nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are more than just the single aspect of your personhood. In fact, the the gospel would say to you and to me that we are more alike as image bearers, this is next week and the week after that, than we will ever be anything else. We are more alike than we will ever be different, regardless of your ethnicity, socioeconomics, background, present struggles. You and I are in deep need of a savior. You and I have both fallen short of the glory of God and are in deep need for the life that only Christ can bring. And that's at at the basis level, you and I hold that in common. We might have grew up different. We might have different cultures. All of that should be celebrated. But we hold most in common, you and I, is that we were made in the image of God and are in deep need of salvation. You are like me. I am like you more than I am not like you. And this idea would create a rift between you and I, would have me join some sort of demonic wickedness in our day that's ripping things to shreds and healing nothing. This idea, look, and, and here's, here's what's fun for me. I, I know some of you might get upset with what I'm saying, but here's what, I don't even have the, not just the Bible, which is the supreme authority, but I got a lot of history and sociological data that says all this is true. Like this idea, look at me, leads to murder. It leads to murder over and over and over, murder and violence. Oh, this has never brought about the justice it claims it will bring. Hadn't brought it for women, hadn't brought it for ethnic minorities, it, hadn't, it just 
creates anger and resentment and rage. I'm not saying there's not work to be done on this front. That's two weeks from now. I'm saying this idea that you're the single aspect of your personhood taken from the complexity of what it means to be made in the image of God is demonic. And what is behind, what the powers and principalities want behind that is death and destruction. And if the church doesn't stand rightly against it, then we will participate in this nonsense. There's also an idea that proposes a society in which everyone shares the benefits of labor equally and they eliminate the class system through the redistribution of income. This is, this is the ideas of communism or socialism or Marxism. And I know you might think I'm getting political, but I'm actually talking about demonic principalities and powers. I'm not, the, the, those structures are what they are. I mean, we'll talk a ton about that in the fall. But these ideas, these three ideas combined, contributed to 100 million deaths in the 20th century. You got a whole generation that seems to have forgotten that. This idea, 100 million people murdered, dead, thrown in giant graves, slaughtered around this idea. What does the enemy want? Death, destruction. The enemy is, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's this ideology. And here's the one that I'll probably get in trouble with. Um, we, we also see the idea of empire. Like if we could just find the right leader to maybe make America great again. You know, if we could just, because we're the, we're the light of the world, where would the world be without us? And if we could only return to the glory years of empire, then our grandkids and great-grandkids would be safe. So the gospel bids you to believe in God's eternal kingdom, not in earthly empires. Are we meant to be good citizens? Yes. Are we to participate in the political process? Absolutely. Will there ever be a nation state that solves and is able to deliver life? No. Are there better ideas than others? Absolutely. Are there demonic ideas and righteous ideas? Absolutely. Are there things that are absolutely unequivocally evil and should be called that? Yes, 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 yes. But to put your hope in empire is to run contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. I, I think at this point, I've offended everyone. <laughs> so let me remind you of the invitation that Jesus gives. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Like you just, just finally... Stop striving, just breathe, be rather than do. Like God doesn't ask you to dance for him. You know that? Like trying to be entertained by your life. Loves you. You imagine. And then he, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is one of my favorite quotes from a, a theologian. His name is Friedrich Dale Bruner. And you know he's smart because if your name is Friedrich, you're smart. You don't know. If you have a buddy named Friedrich, that dude's a genius, right? You know, nobody knows a dumb Friedrich. If your name's Friedrich, you came out of the womb holding a book. And, and so this, is, this man is brilliant. The, he has a commentary on the Gospel of John. I read a couple of years ago. It was my favorite book that year. And, and this, is, this is, he's going to summarize these things we've been talking to like this. Come into union with the word who made you and you will come to life. 
You came from him. Please come back to him. You were made for him. And the result of this reunion will be more than human existence. It will be human life. Listen, life and lies today and every day. God's heart for you is life. Christ says so. He says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He says, I come not to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation. He just on repeat says, I know my own. I know you. So whatever's in your heart right now that's a reason why this can't be true for you. Jesus like, he's like, he's just right there with you going, gosh, I know. I know you think that. Please listen. I, I, it's not true. I know my own. I know you're struggling. I, I know that's hard for you. I know you're wrestling. I know this is an issue. I know, I know my, you're not surprising me with all this brokenness. Why do you think I came? You're not shocking me with this doubt. Why do you think I'm here? You're not, he just moves towards us like this. It's this profound invitation. And it's shocking to me, that, especially like grown-ups. Like I get, I mean, you do all sorts of stuff when you're in your teenage years. You're just an idiot. You just don't know you are. No offense. Maybe. And, but there's this, like, like you've lived long enough to know. You live long enough to know that you got out of college and, oh, gosh, you thought you'd be further along. And you got your first house and you thought you'd be further along. And you got married and you thought you'd be full along. You got a kid and you thought you'd be further along. And then, you, you know, you just keep hitting these milestones and you're just still you. Like, and then to just keep coming back to these same things. I mean, here we are, 2024, trying to eat a little bit better. That's not a bad thing. I think you should steward your body. I've been to the gym this week, I know, seen a lot of you there, it's wild, hey, welcome back. <laughs> Eager to see you for the next couple of months. And, and, then, and, and then what? And then we're back at it. And then, but listen, this is, this is a different offer. This is like for your soul. What? Like your soul. Life, evermore, ever expanding. God's commitment to hold you, to keep you, to be with you, life and lies. It's the opportunity that sits before us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just pray for us. I'm just going to pray for us and over us. And while I'm praying, there's going to be a group of men and women. They're going to come up here. They're just our prayer team. And I, I just want to invite you. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, like you've never said yes to him, uh, I, I don't mean some false gospel version of him. I don't mean some, uh, I'm going to say yes to Jesus because um, he's going to give me everything I want in life. Or I'm going to say yes to Jesus so things won't be as hard. Or I'm going to say yes to Jesus so he'll do these things for me. No, no, no. I, I'm, saying, I, I'm saying yes to you as Lord of my life, trusting that life is found in you and you alone. And I, I'm saying yes. Now shepherd me through the long journey home. Man, what a great start to 2024 to just finally lay that yes down, like legitimately lay that yes down. And I know some of you, when you grew up in church and this is hard for you right now, um, some of you just been on that treadmill for 20 years, flipping exhausted, making the same old, doing it this year. And, and I just wonder what it'd be like for you to maybe breathe for a second and be, rather than feel like you've got to perform or dance for him. Just to breathe and trust his grace for you. I'm not saying transformation's not coming. I'm telling you it's coming from the inside, not your white-knuckled discipline, but a growing affection for the lover of your soul. So I'm going to pray for us, and, and there'll be some men and women that stand up here. And man, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I just want to invite you up to just grab a hand. You're not going to make anybody gasp up here. We'd love to just pray for you. You want to be baptized today? We'll, we'll celebrate that. This place freaks out when we baptize people. It's new life, guys. It's, it's this made visible. 
So we'd love to do that for you today if you want to do that. But for now, let me pray for us and then the rest of us. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of response to this good news that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Father, bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you that you know your own. Gosh, that just has been on me all week. You know your own. You know these men. I don't, I I mean, I can see their faces. You know them. They're, They're in a backstory hidden here. They're in a current struggle that you don't see. And and you just unapologetic, like twice in this text and and hundreds of more times throughout the Bible, I see you, I know you. And so I pray that you break through some of these strongholds today, some of these kind of demonic ideas that kind of, if we're not careful, pull on us a little bit. Some of these false gospels that knock you out of the center and try to stand in its place. And so I pray prayers of freedom today. Uh, I pray life experienced in the deep places And and we need you to do this. Sermons don't do that. You do that. And so, Holy Spirit, quicken hearts. Grant courage to bodies. Stir us up in your love. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.